0: What's up, singers? My name is Gary and John Wells. You're a f***ing liar. And I'm Corey Janabagian. And this is Untap... Upkeep Drink. Spear <laughs> up.
1: All
2: day, every day. What's up, everybody? We are back again with another episode.
0: Today we're talking... The most expensive or the most elusive or the most rare of the Magic the Gathering products that are released. Um, well, that's a quick summary. <laughs> yeah, a, Thank we're, you. we're gonna, we're as gonna always. Do, do, <laughs> love them, hate them. Sometimes you need them, sometimes you can't resist. So, we're kind of here to describe what they are and discuss Drew's. Uh, impulsive buying problem yeah but also kind of give you maybe a little bit of a buying map of what is worth it what is not worth it why it's worth it why it's not and also admit to our own flaws and show you some of the shit we personally have purchased on our own so before we dive into this we want to let everybody know that we still have a survey going we would love to get some input from you guys we they're just 10 simple questions just to kind of figure out what format we are going to use going forward. We have a response.
2: It's a valid response. Yes.
0: And and honestly, if you have the time to put in other and and really explain what you're talking about, go for it. But the survey shouldn't take more than about a minute or two. It's real quick. It's just kind of your opinions on what you like and don't like about the podcast so far.
2: And if you are filling out those others, we are reading them. It's not like we're actually just, you know, hey absolutely only the uh, the little simple quick questions that we care about. Everything is impactful and important. So please do, if you have an opinion, share it with us.
1: Yeah, we're just ramping up, just doing more, getting our YouTube and more of our social media going, just becoming a more dedicated channel. And so we're just trying to figure out what you guys want to see, what we can do. Just we want to move forward as a group and as a community.
0: Yeah, and speaking of that, we are on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube, so check us out on all those channels. I'm sure you're going to find a favorite somewhere.
2: Yeah, so that's going will be in the show notes of
0: whatever platform you're looking at, so check it out. But before we dive into all the details on premium products, we've got some beers, and we even have... Damn beers. ...a premium beer. Whoa. Mm. So let's dive in.
1: I am going with... Roja Brewing. I like how he says that as if he made a conscious decision here. Yes, I brought this myself to drink by myself. It's the Roja Brewing Project Nights Out Belgian Style Stout. So I saw that one in the liquor store and I was like, yo, Belgian style, and then saw Stout and I was like, ooh. Yeah, Roja Roja Brewing Project's pretty dope, but it's at 8.7% and we couldn't find any IBUs, but... It's a stout, so probably like 40 plus. Yeah, it's
0: it's a big boy. <laughs> and it's dark. Super oh, yeah, dude, dark. The
2: pour on that one, like <laughs> even when it was like filtered through the light, I was like, no, that's like oil. Yeah.
1: So right away you just get all those malty rich notes, as you'd expect from a stout, but you can smell the alcohol. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Which can be a plus, kind of like slow you down and pace yourself. Other times it doesn't even matter. Oh, the face right there. This
1: is a powerful boy. Ooh. It's right, you hand it over. Let's let's So right off the right off the get go, it's straight alcohol. And then it just it goes into like espresso notes and it's Ooh. it's like really rough espresso, like under prepared espresso. Ooh. Ooh. So if you if you prepare espresso, then if it's under roasted, then it's on the bitter side. And then if you over roast it, then it's on the sour side. And so it was really, really bitter. And now it's it's going kind of on the sour side. I don't really know what's happening. On the nose. it's... not a fan of.
2: Yeah, definitely like powerful malt notes and alcohol. Yep. <laughs> See? Okay. Yeah, I feel that. <laughs> so like it is this kind of harsh coffee bitterness. Yeah. That's like super potent into kind of a, a malty bitterness, but... It's weird how it maintains that bitterness throughout. Like, usually for the stout, you expect some sweetness to it. Yeah, that's what I was Uh, expecting. The Belgian style, you expect some of those yeast characteristics to come through. But it's just like, it's like roast, roast, roast.
1: Yeah, it's like burnt coffee and like super bitter malts. I will say that the second taste that I have, it does have like
2: this cloyingly sweet, but it... It just doesn't last. It's like sweetness straight back in. It's like a a rubber band where you like start pulling it back. It's like sweet, sweet, sweet. Hey, Bittertown, we're back.
1: It's very interesting.
2: The way that it lingers too is kind of
0: unnerving. Like Weirdly enough, it's kind of round like a porter. Like it's not as sweet as most stouts. Maybe that's the Belgian thing going on. It's got like that funky kind of yeast maybe to it. But it's very much just bitter. I can like smell it on my breath, which is probably not like the most attractive thing to say. (laughs) But it is so strong in the note that it does.
1: Alcohol still. Like it's just like in my throat. Yeah. It is pretty gnarly. It's very strong. Yeah. Yeah. Rough is
2: a word I'd describe it with. Because like there are some like really nice stouts and some even just mediocre stouts that kind of have this wave of flavors that you get through. Whereas this one is just like Choppy and to throw the contrast, oh, Gary, and yeah. you have a, a very, very different beer.
0: Yeah, we got the Brooklyn Brewery Bel Air Sour, it's sitting at 5.8 ABV, and because it's a sour, there is no IBU listed. It's got a name Come right on. on the top, it says Party Tartly. Uh, it sounds like the exact type of thing me and Corey like to put in our mouth. <laughs> uh, we fought over it, and he gave it to me like a gentleman. I took one for the team. That is a super good sour.
2: The way that Gary immediately reacted to it.
0: It was so first and foremost, it is extremely tart, which is exactly what I want in a sour.
2: I will say, going from Gary's reaction to smelling it and tasting it and just grinning to Corey just smelling, <laughs> smelling it, it and immediately <laughs> just has this like gleeful childish
1: expression of just like I'm gonna like this shit. This is yeah, this is Which fun.
0: probably points to Drew not liking it as much, but holy shit.
1: Yeah. When we first poured them and I took away for this, I said, this smells kinda like an armpit. So I was like, that's how you know it's a good sour. Yeah. And oh yeah, it's a oh good one.
0: But it, it so when you smell that, you get that little bit of funk that kind of does remind you of like B.O., quote-unquote, but when you taste it, it's nothing like that. It's just tart and fresh. It's not fruity and, like, you can pick out a fruit, but it's just citrusy like fruit is. Yeah, and it's really smooth. It doesn't have, like, a harsh bite that a lot of sours yeah. do. It doesn't have that
1: acetic acid that it, I know Drew hates, but It has, like, two distinct
2: smells. It, it's One of which, which is, like, funk, and then another which is acidic. It tastes bland to me.
0: Like, it, it, It's a generic sour, I think.
2: Yeah. Like, it's not, like, super potent or anything. It's just kind of... Sour. (laughs) It's just there. Like, it has a nice finish. It's got a nice body to it. But it doesn't really have anything that I could, like, nail down as, like, this is what it is. It's just, like... I don't know. I think Party Tartly is kind of a good name for it or a good, like, description of it. Because I feel like this is a sour that you could have. It's like the... American generics version of sours. Yeah,
1: it's just a sessionable sour. Yeah, yeah, and I think Gary, like how you're saying, we usually get a lot of like uh, fruity sours or flavored sours, and so you can immediately tell what those are trying to do. But this is just a, a sour. Yeah, it's beer, just so a beer that has been sour. Yeah, so if you just picture just a normal ass, dope ass, delicious beer, and then just make it sour. Make it That's sour. exactly what this
0: <laughs> it's is. It's so good. Where what are you drinking, Drew? It's summer beer.
2: So I got one. That has a legacy here. Ooh. So we've got the Yingling Traditional Lager, the original amber beer. So Yingling is America's oldest brewery. This has been around for 100-plus years. Like, this is one that really does have a story to it. Um, so I'll just read their description here. Famous for its rich amber color and medium-bodied flavor with roasted caramel malt, for a subtle sweetness and combination of Cluster and Cascade hops. This true original delivers a well-balanced taste with very distinct character. Born from a historic recipe that was resurrected in 1987, the Yingling traditional lager is a true classic. So it sits at 4.5% ABV, which means that Utah can now sell it in grocery stores. Nice. If they, you know, want to ship it this far. I think it's from Maryland
1: or something like that. I think Pennsylvania is what it said.
2: Ooh. Uh, I will say my... Coworker is the one who uh, provided this for us here. Uh, she heard that we had a beer podcast, and she was like, yo, this is my favorite beer. It's What's super clean and crisp. Katie. Thank you, so, Katie. Shout out to Katie. Uh, shout out to her family. It's good shit. So, Ooh, on the nose, it's like a super clean amber lager. Like, I like those. <laughs> like, There's nothing to like bring it down. It's got like these malty sweet notes to it. Honestly, if you took American generics and you added more of a body to them, That's kind of what this is like. It's like, it does have that kind of sweetness that you get out of, uh, generics, but it has just more going on to it. There's a little bit of hop that you get out of it. Uh, not quite the, the pininess, but it adds that super crisp finish. And then it's just like, I feel like it's just a more well-bodied amber lager that you get. Like I definitely see this as like an anytime beer. This is, this would be like the equivalent to Landshark. You know, where, like, you
1: can can drink drink it at any (laughs) time. Yeah, it's a beautiful golden amber color. It smells really, really sweet. Yeah.
0: That's really good. It's just malt. It's just straight up, like, a malty golden beer. And then it has just, like, a light hot crisp finish. This
1: is solid.
2: Like That's kind of what you want. If somebody describes a beer, this is more what I want rather than, like, the generic... Slightly malty, tiny, you know, hint of bitter. It's like more malt forward, a really clean,
1: yeah, that em- solid body embraces malts a hundred percent, and it it tastes like a German beer in the best way. Yeah, it's like if you were to take a
2: German beer and you were to take out some of the yeasty notes out of it, this is what you'd get. Like, and that's yeah, that's a really a good pretty lager. big compliment, I think.
0: Now, the three of these beers are, you know, standard delicious beers. I I think all three of them are good. However. None of them are necessarily special, right? I
2: mean, coming from the oldest brewery in America, that's a pretty damn special It's
0: special, but you'd buy a sixer of that, no problem. You wouldn't think twice. That's probably
1: their most, like, made beer. Yeah? Yeah. It's it's rated at common.
0: (laughs) That's a common. (laughs) It's a a common. Maybe an uncommon. It is a mythic uncommon. But we have a mythic rare here today to go along (laughs) with our... I like how all the people who in just are
2: here for the beer are just like, what the
0: fuck are they talking about? <laughs> what is a mythic rare beer? <laughs> so
2: uh, we have another one of the Game of Thrones Royal Reserve Collection. This is the Queen
0: of the Seven Kingdoms. And it's a sour blonde ale blend. I'll be honest with you. Before we start, Cersei is probably everybody's least favorite. But I think this is my favorite of the Game of Thrones beers. <laughs> Haven't had it yet, but I smelled it and I'm excited.
2: So the description that we get... some of the beer review sites just describes it as a blend of sour ale and Belgian-style blonde ales. So, again, this is from Omegang. So, this is a brewery that we've had. We enjoy. Uh, We come back to just for their normal beers. And so, we're going to dive into another one of the Game of Thrones Royal Reserve Collection.
0: You guys!
2: So, on the nose, you get a lot of the kind of Belgian ale. Like like a Belgian blonde, a little bit of funk, but... Still has those lager notes to it. First taste, it's lightly sour. Again, you get a lot of the Belgian blonde characteristics where it is some malt, it is some of the yeast kind of a little bit of funk going on to it, but it's a really well developed and honestly well blended beer considering that you're taking a, a soured ale and a Belgian blonde and mixing those together. Like this is significantly better. Than the Daenerys beer.
1: Yeah, this is way better because that one, it was a stout and a cherry beer? It, yeah, it was a porter and oh, uh, a Kavik, Kavik. tart. Yeah, yeah, and, uh, and a Kavik the- Kavik tart the, cherry beer. It just, the cherry was just overpowered. But this one is, like you said, Drew, just a perfect balance. You get one beer and then you just get go right into the next beer and just ends with a little bit of sour notes. But it's not just like one beer and the next. It's like you do taste- the sour. Yeah. it's and like, it like blends yeah, into the, the in the between is like with the special spot where yeah. it's like, oh man. Yeah. It's like having doing something like crazy here. A
2: black and tan or a bumblebee or something like that, where it is two beers that you're mixed together, but you go from one down into the other. And it's really that sweet spot that you get the in between middle, those yeah. that's like what you're chasing. And it only lasts for just a little bit and then it goes into the other one, but it fades really nicely with the Belgian. Yeah, it's super smooth.
0: Yeah, I'm into it, guys. This is this is the one. Uh, I know
2: <clears throat> Corey and I are to write a poem here, and Gary's <laughs> gar- been drinking it. Yeah. yeah, like that. Uh, it's tart. It's also. Um, this is one of the better Belgian beers I think we've had. And that's
0: yeah, seeing a fair it's bit. Yeah, it's funky, but it's not like obtrusively so. Agreed. And I think maybe that's hidden by some of the tartness, but it's just clean and clear. A little bit of tart, a little bit of funk. Mayhaps we have found beer of the show. <laughs> maybe. I mean, I'm a the big Gedge fan
2: of this hour. <laughs> oh that's a really good way to look at it. Yeah. So, speaking of that, let's actually get into the main discussion here. Uh, premium products. So, there's a lot to go into with this. So, let's start by breaking down what we mean uh, by premium products. Like, let's put a definition on it so that people understand what we're talking about. If we're going to talk about what premium cards are, let's talk about what the non-premium, uh, like... Standard is for cards. Like, what is that? What is
1: the normal card? So these are just whenever you think of a magic card, this is what it is. It's just your traditional cards. It's cards you get out of just regular old uh, magic boosters. If you think of a core set or any um, set release, kind of like that, those are just traditional magic cards.
2: Yeah, and like if you think about boosters, with the
1: exception of the master sets and stuff like that. But right, we'll, we'll yeah. get into that.
2: So you think like. From Alpha to uh, Theros Beyond Death, right? Like those are the standard booster. Granted, like Alpha and Beta Revised, those right now I think are premium products. But like in their you time, can find them; they
0: are above and beyond yeah. premium products.
2: <laughs> yeah, but like in their time, those right. are like the that was the just normal. Magic cards. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. When you think about Magic cards, it's like not the the crazy Magic cards. It's just.
0: Something, magic cards. Yeah, something you go buy at Walmart or wherever, whoever's... Please don't to- buy a magic cards at Walmart. <laughs> <laughs> but when we talk about what is premium products, it's everything that's not that. So these are like collector's boosters, booster packs. These are judge promo. They're extra foil things. So these are things
2: that are limited, right? These things that you just yes. can't find everywhere, right? They're printed outside of the the normal booster packs like we were talking about. They have a limited release and... By that, I mean it's both a time, like limited by time, and but also limited by the quantity yeah. that has been uh, printed. Um, some of them, as Corey was talking about with the master sets, uh, interact with format legality, right? Where are they legal? Where are they not? And how does that change how people perceive them and buy them?
0: Yeah, and recently they've actually gone through different methods of obtaining these products. So before it used to be you would only be able to order them online on a typical secondary site, or you would have to go to an LGS. And now uh, some of these previous products, which we'll get into, are coming straight from Watsy. Some of them are coming straight from certain stores, but not other stores. Some of them are only available on LGS. So they've used that, you know, the, the place that you can buy these as part of their limiting of these premium products.
1: Yeah, and just picking back, piggyback off of that. It, if you just think about the Comic Con promos, oh yeah. yeah, like you could only get those at Comic Con.
0: That was so they stupid.
1: are super crazy alternate art. They cost a lot. Yeah, so that's just kind of exactly what we're thinking of when we talk about stuff
0: like that. A lot of these tend to be highly collectible. They're ones that are not necessarily geared at playability and more geared at. Hey, I want that cool thing they printed. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, or or yeah. Not, not even necessarily looks cool, or it's rare, or it's something yeah, exactly like, things like that. Collection. You that's know, like
2: difficult to obtain. Yeah. That's super collectible. These are things that are going to maintain their value or just gain value. And that's even with different versions of those cards being reprinted in later sets, right? Like, yeah. the version that you know is the like premium version, whatever it happens to be, is still going to maintain value even after you know three, four, five printings of the card, it's still just going to be like a solid inclusion to anyone's because collection.
0: it was limited, right. and the regular was not.
2: So one of my questions that I hope to try and answer here is, can we define premium based on cost, or like a cost percentage based on what the normal version of that card is worth? And that's something that I think is kind of subjective, but something that I kind of want to address in this episode. Um, so the other question I want to look at is, why do we have them? And this is more food for thought, right? I don't really expect anyone to have a good answer, but- it's because I Wizards of the Coast is a company and they need money. Food for thought. Food for thought. Chew <laughs> <wanna> on <have. laughs> But why does Watsy spend time and money making products that are virtually unplayable, right? Like these are collectible things that you don't want to get scuffed up to be ruined. And granted,
1: Corey hits the nail on the head immediately, uh, but- But we're just talking about people don't want to bust out their $400 invocation- Masterpiece Soul Ring and stuff like that in their budget just, yeah. EDH deck. They they want to frame that and like keep it in their house or
2: double sleeve and only play in the one deck that
1: they don't play exactly very their often. Their most blinged out ten thousand dollar deck. That's the only time they want to play it. Other times it's chilling. You don't just take this willy nilly. Yep. So with that, I do want to throw out a disclaimer,
2: especially for me personally. While we may disagree or speak ill of certain premium products. We're not going to pretend that we're perfect human beings that say things and then don't kind of act against those thoughts. We're not infallible, nor are we innocent of never purchasing these premium products. We definitely do. We definitely have them, and we will likely continue to do so, partly because we do have, like, a desire to have cool shit, but also, like, the, hey, check this out is such, like, uh, an integral part of magic and an integral part of our play group, that it's something that we will always continue to kind of
1: gear ourselves towards in a very minimalist
0: fashion, right?
1: Yeah, I think, we'll, and we'll get into this later, but there are right and wrong ways to make these products.
0: Yeah, definitely some of them are going to feel more parasitic than others. But um, But like Drew said, sometimes you just... You just like that. You just want it promo, and you just like, yeah. God damn. So obviously, we have definitely purchased some of these products. Um, we're probably going to speak ill of some, better of others, but uh, just know.
2: So let's talk about real quick the variety that premium products come in, because when you say pre- premium product, like that's a massive scope of things to talk about, right? We've got cards themselves. We've got actual like products that are released. Um, more like the, oh, shoot, what is the gift box and things like that? Yeah. That realistically, a normal Magic player, someone who goes out and builds a deck, buys singles, things like that, is just not going to have an interest in. So, not all of them are predatory, right? Like, starter decks are a decent, or at least were a decent product to get new people into it, right? The starter decks, like Card Kingdom stuff have, that really are directed at trying to help, uh, like, the average player or, like, the entrenched player get their friends into the game, right? You're not using those products, and you're not, like, you're not buying those products as, like, I'm trying to get, like, the one thing that's difficult to get. You're getting a chase card or whatever. Yeah, exactly. Um, foils. I mean, everybody loves foils. The reason why they make foils is because, especially with the new foiling process, like, they accent cards really nicely in a way that makes it more collectible, but that comes in normal packs, you're going to open those packs, you know, you're going to have access to the, in like a normal fashion. Dual decks, again, like that's something that, while it is, you know, a more of a premium product, it does help to teach new players. It like builds you, it provides a pre-built deck that immediately out of the package, you've got two decks that can play against each other. You can actually play the game of magic just with that. Um, Alt arts, judge promos, that's where we start to get into things that aren't necessarily predatory but start to get in like where we really are talking about premium products um if you push that a little bit further we've got mythic edition where that is where in my opinion we start to get into the predatory nature of premium products so things that are way too expensive for way too little and that's where we like really find things that are frustratingly unavailable I guess it's like the- yeah that's that was
1: the point where they just went a little too far yeah um,
2: then we have things like World Championship promos. Those ones are super fucking dope, but they're not legal in basically any format. So most of the time, they're affordable versions of cards that you wouldn't be able to get normally. So they're basically like a a proxy, almost like yeah. You should treat them as one. They're yeah. awesome. Yeah, they're like bordered, like playable proxies, I guess. Is the way I o- do official depending thing. on your play group, right? For sure. Um, showcase artwork again, more of the premium, like almost like Judge promos, but again, like a little bit better in some senses, worse in others. Uh, yeah, a couple, they're more available. Yeah. Uh, buy box promos, like Arian said, that's something that generally has a very limited window for you to be able to find those cards, get those cards. And for a lot of shops, I think it's probably frustrating because, you know, you can really only sell those with the box unless you're trying to sell them as singles. But then it's like, oh, this is something that you can only get and it's a very limited card. So therefore I'm just jacking the price up on it. Yeah. And, you know. Again, that's frustrating.
0: That's the problem with the buy box promos. It's not the card itself. It's the fact that you have to buy it as a whole with the box. That's what feels predatory is you're making people like, this is a limited edition of this card and you want it. I could just sell it for $20 and that would kind of be predatory. I can jack up the price and you're going to buy it. But no, I'm going to sell it for $100 and you don't know what the fuck else... Common shit you could get. You might break even. You might not. But you have to do it because that's the only way we're going to sell it. That's and maybe the problem.
2: I think that buy box promos are where like I start to draw a line of acceptability in that they are the line because people are going to buy boxes anyways, right? Yeah. People are going like me personally. If I buy a box, that's like two drafts for you know, two six man pod drafts. That's something that I'm probably gonna do if I like the set anyways. Yeah, so, at least
0: this way you know at least one card
2: that you're gonna get for sure. <laughs> right. And if it's yeah. a card that I like from a set that I like, then it's like, yeah, sure. I like this, I'm gonna I'm gonna use this, I'm gonna buy this. It's something that I'm okay with.
1: Yeah, it's usually like uh, the cherry on top. But right. I think especially where we draw the line is when the card is really good, like Nexus of Fate. Yeah. Like after Nexus of Fate, all the buy promos have been trash. They've In just, comparison. Yeah, they've they've been okay or utterly unplayable. Because what the first one was Song and Sunspeaker? Yeah, that was, which for was like Dominaria. Yeah,
2: which is very much a commander-oriented, like hey.
1: Not even a very good one. This is
2: to try and make Boros better, you know, have Boros spells thingy or whatever. And people are like, okay, cool. And the price on it initially was like way too expensive. And people were like, this is just not that great of a card. It's a six mana commander doesn't really do anything that's really crazy, and then the price, like, dropped immediately. But then there's also, I guess, kind of the uh, adjacent thing to dual decks to me is the From the Vaults, where it is the opposite version in that it is something that's meant to be limited, that's meant to be, like, the crazy foil version of these, you know, limited cards. And it's the bad foiling where it absolutely tarnishes the value of them, But because it is a limited product and because it is such, like, a highly collectible thing, the price just, you know, goes through the roof on them. And they print cards in there, for the most part, anyways, that people want, right, that are highly desirable. But, again, it's like...
1: Yeah, I was looking at the, just, like, seeing which ones that they had. And just, like, the Relics one and just, like, the Lands one alone were worth so much money. And they MSRP'd at, I think... $35 Thirty-five or forty dollars.
0: Yeah,
1: and, but the you can only find them now for like minimum two hundred. The rest of them are w- not worth anything. Basically, yeah. There's like the from the vault angels, which was decently
2: expensive, and from the vault annihilation or whatever the the board wipe board one oil. was. The- and like the price on that one like fluctuated super hard and then kind of like leveled out. But for the most part, wizards said, "Hey, this is how much this theoretically should be worth," and the secondary market was like. <laughs> No.
1: Yeah, they just scooped them up and then just ruined it for everybody, basically, which happens a lot on these limited, limited runs, which I think they're trying to fix that problem with this last thing on our list, which is the newest, quote-unquote, cash grab that they're doing, and it's the Secret Layer product line. Yeah, and that one, I think, is one that we'll have to talk about towards the end of the episode,
2: just because I think that it is both a cash grab from Watsy, but it's also... A means of providing a premium product to players at a mostly affordable rate. It's just they're doing it in such a shitty way of just like having a time-gated event. Yeah. Like this is something that I talked about before, where you expect this out of a video game or something like that, where it's like, hey, you know, you got 12 hours for double XP or something like
1: that. Log on now, bro.
2: And now it's like, hey. You got twenty four hours to buy this one thing. That if you don't get at this price, it's going to be at least double this price. Watsy has this last year omitted MSRP on products. Yeah. So LGS have to kind of figure out: Do I charge what I paid for? What is the profit margin I need for this to be successful? Yeah. Like they have to ask these questions that previously the public knew about, and that allows them to sell them at a price that becomes, I guess, appropriate for the product. Based on what public knowledge is. And now it's like, we don't know what you got that for, right? WotC makes those cards for $0.87 a piece, and then you're selling them, those six cards, for 40 bucks.
0: But with the secret layer, for instance, a lot of players are upset about the fact that there's a limited time to have things, and yet somehow everybody has them right so the, there's like this dichotomy of what players care about like the price oh this thing costs too much and it's so rare or oh this thing isn't special like why would i pay for it you know what i mean and i think secret layers trying to bridge that gap whether or not it's doing that we'll you know only time will tell but You hear from magic players all the time, new and and entrenched that, oh, this thing was way too much. I don't know if I can spend that much money on it. Or another product comes out and they're like, oh, well, they released that everywhere. So I don't want it because it's not special. You can't have both. So we always kind of run into that situation where it's either really rare and special. It's probably going to cost a lot or you're going to get it for a cheaper rate. More people are going to have it and it's going to be quote unquote less special. So, I think Secret Layer is holding in the price and technically giving out an unlimited amount, but only for 24 hours.
1: Yeah, Gary, and I think you hit it just right on the head where you listed the good and the bad. It's like you said, everyone can get it, but only at this time. Yeah. If it works. <laughs> and awesome. it's different than, say, for instance, the uh, San Diego Comic Con promos. Like, you either had to be there and buy them, or you have to buy them for double or triple or you're at the mercy of anybody selling them. Right? Yeah, you're at the mercy of the secondary market. you can't get those anywhere else. Exactly.
0: Yeah. And if you were there, you're buying those suckers up. It doesn't really matter how much they are because whether or not they're the most powerful or most crazy artwork or whatever, that's about as limited as you can get in Magic. And so you know that any copy you buy that's not for you will sell for more. Yeah, whether absolutely. it's 10% or 500%, you're going to resell it. So... I Unfortunately, mean, that's where you get... I don't want to call them predators because it's like the stock market. These people are business people are trying to make money and that's a good way to do it. But it it takes out the lay person like you and I who just want to fucking play Magic from ever getting those types of products.
1: Yeah, it's just a different side of Magic yeah. that it's the a lot of us side. aren't into. Like yeah. A lot of us just want to play Magic and just find cool cards and play cool cards. Yeah. And then a lot of us... Just want to buy cards and sell cards, and that's totally fine.
2: Yeah, it's weird, though, that my opinion for something like San Diego Comic-Con, Planeswalkers, that they they sell, is vastly, vastly different to something like Mythic Edition. And I think that's a a point that I'm going to hold on to, just because I see the varying levels of beers that we have here. Some of them (laughs) a little bit lower than others. So, let's get back into those. Corey... I want you to start out because you There's want to have
0: only one beer that I think is low tier, and it's Corey's beer, which is weird because you're <laughs> the only one of us that said it was good. I mean, I like it, but it's definitely not these other three. I want to like it. <laughs> yeah,
1: it's just it's so strong in all like the wrong ways, abrasive. Yeah, it, it really is. Like it's just hard to drink, and that's especially because I don't really like stouts. Yeah, but true. even Drew doesn't like it.
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean that's, that's the thing. saying
1: something. Yeah,
2: the thing is, is that like. I can feel my face making, like, a disgusted face that I'm not... Like, I'm trying to enjoy it, and as soon as I taste it, like, my whole face is just like, no, you don't like it. This is gross. Yeah,
1: I don't know if it's just because it's 8.7%, or the, they just did something weird, but it is just so strong. <laughs> you know what's weird is that I wish this was a bit smoky,
2: because I think that that would add, yeah, a little bit of that kind of extra flavor that this thing needs, because it's just overpoweringly... Roasty, and it's not a good roast. It's a bitterness to it that just sits on my tongue
1: forever. Yeah, it's like, like like it's leaning on the burnt side of roasty. Like yeah. they just held the malts in too long, and that's it's really a one note kind of beer. Yeah, and I feel like
0: I think that's the biggest thing is that it's the one note. You get that note, and if you don't like that note, tough shit. That's what <laughs> a you get. Whole beer left.
2: Yeah, because like to learn to like it. Initially, I was wondering if it was more like scorched chocolate or something like that. The more you talked about the coffee, like burnt coffee, is, yeah. is the correct flavor
0: profile? I, I still like it. I took a drink and I liked it. It's not as good as these other beers, but it is definitely 20 to 24-hour coffee. It's coffee that sat in the pot for a while and, and lost a lot of water and, and, and like, condensed. I just need
2: coffee right now. <laughs> yeah, let's go. It's, it's work with coffee. It's diner coffee that is a day old, but has been on the same warmer- the entire yeah, it's
0: just, time, yeah, just been getting heated. It's, it's the coffee that people often refer to as sludge. Yeah, but it is sweet. I'll give it that. It's it got has, some sweetness, but that's right at the very beginning. But not really do anything? <laughs> Holy shit! It. I couldn't drink more than one can of this, and drinking the whole can I'm is barely be a challenge. One yeah. can. <laughs> I, I don't hate it, but it's definitely not a good beer. <laughs> Corey and it's just reluctantly pours out dead. the rest of it. Yeah, That's hard. I mean, Almost really, <laughs> I said abrasive as a joke, but it is abrasive. I think there are dudes who um, drink this kind of coffee on the regular that are could chow oh, yeah. that like, down. If you like fine. black coffee or <clears throat> old coffee, old. <laughs> you should
2: definitely check this one out. Yeah. I prefer black coffee. I love espressos and Americanos and... That just <laughs> it's too puts much, me off.
1: Yeah, it's, it's hard.
2: <laughs> On the other hand,
1: yeah, Gary, let's go to something good
0: <laughs> the Brooklyn Bel Air Sour, the, the party Tartley. A pretty little can. Oh, it's oh, yeah, just light blue, so good, pink. It's so cute. It looks like a, a child's playroom. This one's delicious. I, I'm a big fan of this one. Unlike the Game of Thrones queen, whoa, 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 whoa. you leave that one out of this. That's well, not part of this discussion. Well, unlike yet. the queen no, of the Seven Kingdoms, you get out of here. It is primarily tart. So instead of getting that kind of beer funk flavor, and yet he continues full on. You got the tart. Then you got a little, little, little bit of uh, malty kind of kind of beer flavor. There's no hops, right? You can't taste them like we said before it's not fruit tea it's not fruited but it's citrusy it's sour and it's just it's kind of bland but it is i think it's sour enough that i'm just
1: yeah just coming off of that after the Roja, it's just <laughs> like breath it's of so <laughs> refreshing it's definitely not as sour as it once was yeah which is interesting but maybe i've just been beaten down by your the bitterness
2: yeah thing is though is that like the smell is way worse to me as a non-sour drinker than the actual taste. Oh, it's funky
1: smelling. Like, yeah, the that smell has not changed.
2: <laughs> yeah, the smell is, is more like acetic acid than than fruit or anything yeah. else. Like it is it the like bad parts of the sour that I don't like, but the actual flavor is totally fine.
1: Yeah, it's I I think generics the the wrong word and the right word because it's just right there in the middle where it's it's not doing anything crazy. It's not but doing it's anything so, bad. It's just, like, good.
2: Yeah, it's so, like, mouth-wateringly refreshing. Yeah. Which seems like a, a weird, you know, description of something that is refreshing shouldn't be mouth-watering. But at the same time, it provides that kind of, the good kind of a- acidic flavor that does make your mouth water. Well, at the same time, like, you take a drink and you're like, wow, I'm very satisfied with that. It's not, like, crisp, but it has that, like, I don't know. It's almost like how an IPA finishes, you know, without... That crispness, it still has that really
1: nice, I
2: don't know, refreshing. I'm gonna keep repeating the word, but like it's just uh, gonna make
0: your whole mouth salivate.
1: Yeah, it's just like a a summery finish. Like, I don't know. It's just if you don't like sours, you should definitely check that one out. Yeah, I I agree. Definitely.
0: It's very approachable. If you like sours, you should I check that one (laughs) out. (laughs) And last but not least, we've got the in this corner. (laughs) In, In Drew's corner. Uh, first of all, I'd like to say that it's got the best color of all the beers we've got. Oh, here. it's that fucking is.
2: gorgeous. Yeah. Like, I want to know how long it's a piece the of art process is. Because lagering is a lot of work. But, like, to have something like that that is so clean and crisp and refreshing, but also malty and just, like, that wonderful, like, just, like, a kiss of hops, you know? Like, you talk about just dunking the hop in. Like,
1: I just like how, if you hold it up to light, it's, like, golden just perfect, like, when you think of beer, this is what it looks like. But if you look at it in your hand, it's just like a rose gold. It's just like a beautiful, beautiful beer. Yeah.
2: I can definitely see why this is Katie's favorite beer because it is a, like, it is very similar to Land Shark, like I said at the beginning, where it is a go-with-anything beer. Like, it's not obtrusive in its flavors. It will just kind of sit on the palate and be enjoyable. It is, like, crisp. It is refreshing it's just all of the things you want out of a like casual beer.
1: Yeah, it doesn't overstay it's welcome. It's not overpowering anyway. It's just straight to the point. Here's what we got. It's fucking delicious. We got all these delicious malts,
0: and then we're gone. That's just a delicious beer. I mean, I'm I'm a huge fan. Speaking but it is of delicious quote unquote beers. just a beer. You Before know we mean? get into anything else, we have to name beer of the show. Before our premium beer. We have to- <laughs> Well, I, mean, I know what it ain't. <laughs> unfortunately, the Roja is in the back. I'm going to give it to the Brooklyn Bel Air Sour. I'm obviously a fan of Sour, so it hits me right. It's my kind of thing. I mean, I
1: love Sours too, but dude, that fucking lager, bro. <laughs> it's goddamn good. Like, Brooklyn Bel Air Sour is
2: fine. It doesn't do Anything wrong, doesn't do anything exceptional. The Roja does many things wrong and does one thing exceptional, but it's something that it does wrong. You got to like that one thing. Yeah. But the Yingling, it is just, it is an American lager exemplified in the best way.
1: It's so good. And like the the Brooklyn sour is also so good. If I could just drink both of those on a hot summer day, just alternating, I'd be set. (laughs) But I got I to gotta give it to the Yingling.
0: But we do have a premium product here. Quote, unquote.
1: Judge promo. We've got the Sour Blonde Ale Blend,
2: the Queen of the Seven Kingdoms. A Belgian blonde mixed
0: with a nice sour ale. It feels weird for me because it's been in my studio for almost a year now. So it looks yeah, like... one's only been there about six months. It's well, not
2: the Mother Dragons or whatever it was that was here for fucking ever.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's, it's like... It doesn't feel like a premium thing to me. It's just so ordinary now, but it literally fits the exact description that we've given to a premium product because it was more money than normal, and limited, limited release. release, and it was heavily branded. So it's exactly what we're talking about here. Uh, how do you guys feel about it?
2: I'm pretty keen on it, actually. Like yeah. compared to the Mother Dragons, which I feel like we all had a kind of pretty big expectancy for how good it was going to be. Mm-hmm. That and one just it
0: wasn't. Wasn't. Yeah. And this one on the, the other hand, the like, problem was it wasn't what it was advertised. Like you don't put tart cherries on there and then have no tartness and no cherry flavor. Like, yeah. come on. Whereas this one,
2: it does. I mean, it, it tastes like a sour blonde ale. Yeah. Granted, it's not a you know seventeen dollar beer.
1: Oh no, it's definitely overpriced. But it's, it's. I think it's the spectacle. Of it, because it, it looks like a bottle of champagne, it's Game of Thrones branded, it's super yeah. awesome looking, it's beautiful beer, but it's just like something that you share with all your friends, or you bust it out at a party.
0: I was going to say, we it's, grabbed them up for the show because we review beers, but I can see most people who buy this beer doing it for a watch party, you know, like, yeah, yeah. we're going to watch Game of Thrones this is, and drink Game of Thrones beer. for an event.
1: Yeah. For sure. It is good. It yeah, it's really delicious. It's it, very good. Yeah, it does what it says it's going to do, and it does it very well.
2: Yeah, I think that that's something that we generally expect out of Omegang, which is why the Daenerys Mother of Dragons beer was kind of disappointing. Is because yeah. we knew the flavor of the tart cherry beer that we were expecting, and that it just wasn't there. Whereas this one, we and it may be because Mother of Dragon was so disappointing. That we kind of have lowered our expectations for what these beers should be, but like it's just a it's a damn fine beer, but it it's not like holy shit I need to show
1: everybody about this. This is the craziest beer world. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> let's dive back well. in. Beer of the show, not mine. We're no longer talking Forget about beers. beers. Yeah. I don't want to look at it anymore.
2: Bro. So the gift box is something that I think is the definition of predatory products right because it is
0: specifically because of its naming
2: right it is dependent on people who know people in their family in their circle or whatever that play magic and so it's like oh there's a gift box for people like that Yeah, so it's predatory on ignorant shoppers and specifically the one that was released for Eldraine just because of the time of year was predatory on ignorant Christmas Christmas shoppers right like I know somebody in my life That likes magic. So I'm going to get them a Christmas present that is of their hobby, is of their, you know, pastime that they enjoy. Let me look
0: up Magic the Gathering Christmas gift. This is the first thing that shows up, you know?
2: And so to me, that's the epitome of predatory products. And from there, we can, you know, talk about less predatory, but still other premium products that have been pushed too far.
1: Yeah. I think if you just look at it, like we are all very entrenched in magic. We. Look at everything Watsy does and make opinions about it. But if it affects the moms and dads out there, that's how you know it's predatory. When when they trick them into buying shit, that's when you know they went too far.
2: Yeah, I can just imagine, like, a grandma. Oh, you like magic, so I bought... You know, just like, oh thanks, thanks grandma. grandma. That's... I mean, you, you tried, and I appreciate that, and I love you. But, but this
1: is trash. Yeah, this is
2: not worth your money.
1: Yeah, so let's... The, so the next thing we have on here is just the Mythic Edition.
2: So I put that one on the list because of not just the product itself, because the product itself is fucking trash, especially <laughs> for the
1: cost. It's, so this was, which one? which Ravnica. It was the one centered this around is, the most recent With the Ravnica. box toppers, or is that the no, last Master set?
2: that was the Master set. Okay. That one, I think, is still premium, but a little less clusterfuck than what this one was. Very so good. with... Mythic Edition. They had like the full art Planeswalkers, like this premium product, very like obvious. But then they had just a master clusterfuck of the timing that you could order, uh, the amount that you could order, and so many people didn't get the product because the website that they were on. Oh, that just was got the one. Absolutely.
1: Yeah, the fucked. site got crashed, and like they sent out all the. Um,
0: Oh, the, the, the uncut sheet sheets. sheets. The uncut right? sheets
1: that wound up fucked in the yeah. mail anyways.
2: Yeah. And so it's like they have this premium product in and of itself, right? Overcosted, not legitimately not worth the the paper yeah. it was printed on as far as like the overprinting of said product.
1: Oh because yeah, then the, ordering the product. It was like full art versions of like three dollar planeswalkers. Like
2: Well, a couple of them were, you know, yeah, and then there was but,
1: Teferi and Nicobolas and stuff Raul. like that.
2: And then so beyond that, it was like a two hundred and forty product for A booster box, basically, right? And then after that, you also have the problem with the shipping and billing and site crashing. And then in order to make up for that, their apology was, oh, you ordered this. You didn't get this. Maybe you did get this. We don't actually know. So we're going to send out the full foil uncut sheets. I think it was for the foil sheets. Maybe it was just uncut, whatever it was, which is supposed to be a premium product in and of itself that they barely like give out at all. Yeah, those are
0: supposed to be extremely rare. Yeah,
2: and so they're supposed to be something that is incredibly valuable and incredibly collectible. And then they send it out to tens of thousands of people just dropping the worth and the collectability of that down the fucking track. Yeah, if you you had got it...
0: selling it. I was going to say, if you had got it pristine condition, still worthless, but like there were so many of them that were miscut or misshipped and all wrinkled and ripped. Yeah, I think my
2: favorite one was the one that just had like a slash down the side and you're like oh man that thing's gonna be completely fucked and then on the inside the, the like they, they unrolled it and like the back side of it was still like pristine I'm like holy shit how did that not get fucked and then when they unrolled it like halfway through the cards themselves were like peeling apart so that oh the God. face of the cards and the back of
1: the cards were completely different things I was just like no 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 on one of the command zone episodes uh, Jimmy ordered one and then he got the the sheet and I think he said that he it shipped in the mail and he just left it like he, it's it was unopened. Like he didn't even care about it once he finally got it. Yeah, he, he's just like, oh yeah, it's that thing that I wasn't supposed to get. Like that's okay, how worthless. That's how worthless it was. Yeah,
2: yeah. I mean, that kind of speaks volumes about it, right? Like, yeah, someone who is as entrenched he's, as he's like a figure in the community. <laughs> I mean, he was the and face of
0: magic for like the Kaladesh oh, yeah. cycle and all. And like, he's yeah. the face of like blinging out your decks. Like yeah, bling is his thing. Yeah. And he was like. I'll leave it on the doorstep. It's fine. Yeah.
1: And I I think that whole debacle is actually, I think it's Secret Lair is the, the direct answer. result yeah. of that. So
2: talking about Secret Lair the first time when we were on the podcast was talking about how we have acoria uh, Lair of the Behemoths. Yep. So when you guys were talking about it in our group chat, I thought it was something to deal with Ecoria and that was going to be like much later down the line. And then I missed Bitter Blossom, one of my favorite cards of all time, because of that. Because right. even as someone who is entrenched in magic, there's so much random shit that's going on that you can't follow it all that you just, you miss because it's not well advertised. It's not well, and potentially so. But at the same time, somebody like me should have known about that, period.
1: Oh yeah, I, I think it might be because of the Mythic Edition because they mess it up so bad that I know me personally, I was like, I didn't know what it was and I didn't care because it was way too much money for... Planeswalkers I didn't care about yeah. but then after that I was like "Yeah, I don't really care about any of this stuff yeah. and so I just kept my head down I don't like Judge Promos are awesome but I'm not gonna buy every single one of them and all that stuff I do love Judge and so when they finally pop up you're like oh no 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 wait no, those are cool damn it I missed all this stuff
2: with Mythic Edition Corey like, sort of hinted on it but the issue with Mythic Edition and part of the issue with Secret Lair isn't a Watsi thing it is 100% a Hasbro thing.
0: Oh, yeah. Right.
2: Because it is a money grab by the parent company to try and just get how everything. How we
0: sell more 40, 40 cent cardboard? Well, yeah. it's,
2: it's how do we sell more of less, right? It's not even just how do we sell more. It's how do we sell more of less, right? They cost the exact same amount to print. Anyone who fucking thinks different, I'm sorry, get your head out of your ass. Like, yeah. they're spending the same amount. The foiling process might take a little bit more. But a couple cents for a fucking piece of cardboard, anyone who has played certain games that understands that there is a parent company that has the oversight and that has the overreach of a parent company knows the frustration that I'm talking about.
1: Yeah, and I think we're all in the same boat. And you might hear this a lot, but it's just vote with your wallet yeah, and mm-hmm. support your LGSs go to pre-releases buy the things that you want but you don't feel like you need to buy everything and definitely don't support them when you know it's a cash grab
2: yeah yep. voting with your wallet is like a surprisingly impactful thing but also yep. just like vocalizing your discomfort your distress your frustrations is also a very real thing like Watsi themselves is so entrenched in the magic community because of spoiler season because of the people who continue to basically advertise for free for them, both the streamers, the content creators, like uh, ourselves included. Yeah. Like every single episode that we do that we talk about a magic gathering, anything is advertising for the game, for the company. And they know it. And so being someone who makes content, being someone who responds to content, to talk about it, to talk about it in your local game store, to vocalize that, that does Get up to them and they understand, they know where it is, right? And so by doing so, you do have a voice. Like we kind of joke around about it in in Utah, like being like the the minority of people who are like not part of the uh, Republican Party and like be part of that system. You still can speak with your own votes, right? You do make a difference. Every vote counts. That's not just some like generic bullshit that people say. That's something that exists realistically everywhere even something like the secondary market the consumer market yeah. of magic the gathering and that's something that you can influence however small
1: so i think a really good example of this is the 2018 commander decks true because they those are the planeswalker decks and when they were first announced people were like oh lands matter and stuff lands
2: matter uh the bant enchantments which is what we wanted like yeah when they came
1: out it's like yo, this, this isn't what we wanted. Oh, all these reprints suck. Like You chose the wrong reprints. Yeah, like this is a lands matter deck and the only card that cared about lands is the Lord Windgrace Commander. Like, there's nothing else in here. Where's my Gitrog monster? Yeah, where's all the cards that actually have landfall on them? And people complained. Everyone talked. We got the message out. Even the commands were like, yo, these are meant for us, and we don't like them. Yeah. And,
0: and they didn't sell as well.
1: Yeah, and yeah. got the they got the gist of it. They These past, the 2019 X so much better. And yeah. more than just that was that,
2: I think they actually released a statement talking about it. Yeah, where? they
1: said, hey, we're working on it. We heard you loud and clear. You guys did speak with your wallet. We didn't make as much money. We're fixing that. Yeah. Whether they will or not, we just have to see. But the 2019 products were better. Yeah. Granted, the fact they that- They missed
2: we, the mark on Madness. We did Because they didn't give me yeah. a fucking Grixis Madness deck. <laughs> yeah. It's
1: all I wanted. They, but we used our voice and our wallets to change what we wanted to change. That That's all we're trying to say. So yeah. if you don't like any of these Judge promos or San Diego Comic Con or Secret Lair or anything, just don't buy them. Like, that's all. You don't need to- go out and shout from the rooftops that this is ruining magic. It might be, but just not buying them is the power and the voice. Okay, so we kind of... We touched on the bad.
2: We are beating a dead horse to death. (laughs) Mythic Edition sucked. Gift Box sucked. The other one that I have, I want to actually talk about the premium products that Walsi nailed first. um, Syndicar Expeditions, right? We had these... Fucking just so good. These fetch lands, the dual lands, all of like the foiled out, full art. They're one of the best sets of lands that have ever been printed just because everything about them works, right? They're gorgeous. They're like the art themselves, fantastic. The usability is absolutely there. The collectability is absolutely there. If you pulled one, it was like, it was a damn big deal, right? Like, uh I remember one of our buddies before we really even knew about them pulled one, and it was just like, "Wow, this is this is different, right?" Yeah, like, this is
1: cool looking land. Yeah,
2: it was like, "Holy shit, why is this in the the mythics?" But oh, I got a I got a rare too. I got two rares and a you know, and it's like goes to the shop. It's eighty bucks. It's like, why is this so expensive? But we start to realize what Sinocart Expeditions were. Figure out that they are dope. That they are worth the money and the price has only gone up from them but that's something that Watsi knew was going to be you know extra special obviously like they put the time the money into it they made it a limited quantity thing it was like one in six boxes or something like that where you would get one and so to find one was super rare to actually own them was even rare because most people just flipped them so to have like a collection or just have any individual one was a big deal and They've only gone up in price, and they're goddamn like good-looking lands the entire time. And then the follow-up to that was the Kaladesh inventions, which, I mean, goddamn! The first time I saw one was Love. the Soul Ring. Oh my and, god! Like you see that as a magic player, and you're just like, well, you see, especially as a commander
1: player, and you're just like, holy shit! Yeah, it was the because the the Zendikar. Expeditions, they were they were in the set and they were just like promo versions of awesome cars that you could get.
2: But most of them weren't legal and standard. Yeah. And so they were like very much like the definition of a premium card. And people were absolutely like mad in love with these cards. And for the, all of the right reasons. Yeah.
1: But the Kaladesh ones took it to the Ooh. next level. They're like, yeah, this isn't even tied to any set. Like these are just fucking awesome Crazy cards. Good.
2: It's tied to the theme of the set that they came yeah, they right dope ass like, artifacts so we have these artifacts that are like impactful in the history of magic and that we think are impactful in our players' lives basically like some
1: of the most noteworthy cards that everybody plays with
2: and so like that is the premium like that is the definition of premium products done right and the reason why I want to talk about that first is because the ones that in my opinion and many other people's got wrong was the then follow up to the kaladesh inventions which was the Amunket and Hour of Devastations invocations. And the reason why I say that is because they're goddamn
1: fucking hard to read. That is like that is literally the worst thing about them. Like some of them look incredible, yeah, right? They all have super awesome are and stuff like that. But, <sighs> but like they're like I I can't read hieroglyphics. It's, yeah, it's super stylized to look like hieroglyphics, but in the worst way possible cuz it just intrudes on the card frame. It, the, the art is awesome. The rest of the card is just so hard to look at. It's
2: just absolute trash in foil. So it's worse. <laughs> like, I'm like, there's some of them that are like damn cool
1: looking. But, oh, yeah. Like the Force of Will. Yeah. that's oh, God. Yeah, that's so sick. Omniscience. Yep. Omniscience. Uh, that's the one I pulled. Yeah. yeah what? Yep, I yeah, pulled, pulled that at pre-release. the Omnicat pre release. And oh. I was like, hey, can I sell this to you guys? Like, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> Not really. It's worth it. Yeah. <laughs> Because it was
2: like, Damn. yeah, the, the actual. Did you
0: like, do with it? Did you still have it?
2: No, you know, I sold it, it a couple weeks <laughs> just, later. Yeah, just as as soon as the set came out. Yeah, but yeah, just like they literally wouldn't accept it because the the price on it was like so imbalanced.
1: It was, yeah, it was it was crazy because like it was the um one of my very first packs that I opened and then I got a buy on the very first round. I was like, what am I supposed to do for an <laughs> hour? I guess I'll go talk to the judge and <laughs> show him this card.
0: <laughs> Damn.
1: But like the fact that they just. They
2: tried to go too far with it, and I think that oh, so many players are just like, yo, that's looks cool, but like the you see the price on invocations versus the inventions versus the expeditions, and it, it's like a it's a totally different yeah, market. It shows
0: but, so but, obviously we dislike the invocations. Okay, move Can't on. Can't read them. What else did they do right?
2: I mean, I think dual decks for the most part, right? Like. Elves versus Inventors was pretty decent. The uh it was the last like the very last one cuz they said they're not doing them anymore, yeah. right? It was nice that the like foil that came with them, the like, the the uh promotion cards the, basically, yeah,
1: the face cards. Yeah,
2: were alternate art foils of like honestly pretty decent cards for the most part, right? Yeah. And I think that that's that's totally fine and that the fact that they gave you a usable product straight out of the box is something that I don't think can be understated as a magic player to be, you know, like go beyond that. Um, I think that conspiracy and conspiracy two are in my opinion, premium products because you can't basically use them anywhere else besides commander. Like legacy. Yeah. Or just like drafting, but like I've only drafted original conspiracy once. I'm jealous. It was so much fun because it was an eight man pod that you then split and play a multiplayer game. You don't play multiplayer draft. Like that's just not a thing. And it was so much fun. But, like, that's something that you can't... Like, those boxes are so expensive on their own. Like, we're talking, like, $200 for a, a set that
1: just can't really exist yeah, in its own environment. Yeah, I think they're, like, 24-pack sets, too. Like, they're just yeah, lower,
2: was, yeah. lower pack sets. But, like, the cards and the, the power level of some of the cards was insane. But I think that that was something that they nailed because it was meant to be a multiplayer draft environment. And the cards reflect that. And the power level of some of the cards reflect that. Which means that it went into, you know, Legacy, Highlander, Commander really well. And I think that that was a very good thing overall. Uh, the other one on my list is the unsets. I think, legitimately speaking, that Watsy has nailed them because they have advertised them correctly. They are the goofy, the weird, the, the sets that are not sets. They're not meant to be chase cards that are, you know the cards that you want to play in your your standard, your legacy, your vintage, your modern, whatever. They're meant to be played in an environment played with other cards of the same variety. And I think that because of that, people have not necessarily tempered their expectations, but they know exactly what they're getting into. And granted, it is a, a limited availability of the cards that you have. Yeah. Right? I think that Unstable, they did a damn good job with not just because it was fun and because it was ridiculous but because they finally provided a window for people who hadn't really gotten into unglued or unhinged to have the opportunity to play an unset and they designed it as a draft set because that is what they wanted out of it right it was like a full set draft set with its own unique mechanics and they put the time and the money into developing and researching this set But it was so limited in its availability and its time frame that it was like, this is basically the only time you're going to get to have that. This is what it is. And then they went and released the art for the full art lands. And then it became a Chase product.
0: Yeah, all of a sudden they realized, hey, these unsets do make money, but only because people buy the full art lands. Look at that. thing is, though, is that that more affected the secondary market than actually just
2: the primary market to just buy unstable sets
1: yeah i think the only good thing about that is that more lgs's bought boxes so they could sell to people which means more people can draft it
0: yeah Yeah. what's crazy though is that the theros beyond death basic lands crazy cool unique like the most unique lands we've had probably in forever uh those lands went on sale on card kingdom for 69 cents a piece I think they've gone off since then. Maybe they haven't. Nah, the they, they're, full they're art though. lands from the new onset that has not released yet are eight fucking dollars. Are they Whether really? or not you yeah. think they're better or worse, Granted, they, are they know. But you do get like ten
2: percent, right? Or ten per box.
1: Yeah, five foils and five uh, right, not right. foils. Honestly, the unsanctioned. I'm a giant proponent against because it feels like a cash grab. well oh, it is. Because it
2: 100% is. It's the gift it's, box of unsets.
1: Yeah, because they, it's, I think the unset before the Unstable was like 10 years ago. And then they saw how well Unstable did. And just because people cared about the lands, they're like, yo, let's just do more lands and just half-ass the rest of the set. Yeah, yeah. It's not even a draft set. It's $60 minimum for, for like, a two-player game. Yeah. Like, no, I'm not buying well, that. Well, and you can and tell it, just by the it, way they advertised like, it. Yeah, and it, I think there's 15 new cards. The rest of them are just reprints. Yeah. So right. the only thing they really cared about and the only thing We're that they knew- those lands.
0: That would sell are the lands. That's yeah. really all they made it for. All right, guys. So final thoughts on this episode is whether or not the premium products as a whole are even worth it. Should we buy them? So then- The last question I
2: have when it comes to premium products and when it comes to like, where do you draw the line? Like for me, part of it is cost, right? But part of it is like a very personal, I guess, idea. Not necessarily like any value or anything like that. But it's like, can I use this? Will I use this? Where will I use this? And what is the impact that I have when I use it? And all of those matter. Right, because like for me, you look at the Secret Lair products and there was the multicolored Legendaries, right? And for me, don't get me wrong, those cards were cool. Those cards were resellable. Those cards were worth more than the cost of which they were selling them. But they are not something that I would realistically put to use in a way that I would be happy with because I knew that I would only be using them because I bought them at a premium price. So for me, that was not worth it.
1: Yeah, I think, especially being commander players, we sort of had the luxury of just like, we can buy a card and just sit on it. Like, we can just, even if we pull something and it's not good, it might be good later. But when it comes to buying these promos, I'm in the same boat. It's just practicality. Like, if I'm not going to use these cards in a deck, then why do I need to buy them? And that would honestly be the only reason.
0: I think gifts are the only time, and I'm not gonna say it, that it's appropriate because, again, for everybody, it's subjective. But for me, that's when it's appropriate to break that line and go. You know what? I'm gonna get the more expensive thing that's really flashy and just say, you know what? I only got you one card, but this is a forty dollar card, and you're gonna love it. And that's just my personal opinion. I don't. I'm not a collector. I'm a player. I play magic. I don't collect magic. I don't have frames of magic cards. And so I don't find, like the Elish Norn is so sick, but I'm never going to buy it. I'm going to look at it every time on the internet and go, God, I wish I had one of those, but I'm not going to spend $80 on it because it's just not worth doing it. To me, I wish I had spent the $80 when I had the chance. Would you play it? Yes.
2: Often. As often as I drew I hope it. Hope not. <laughs> but it would it
0: would be the card the rest of as hope not.
2: Right. For yeah, right. For like my my token deck, right? And yeah. it's just like for that deck, it is a green white token deck that I am investing a fair amount of money into that I know is going to be an expensive deck, that I know is going to be a high power level deck, but it's one that I know that I'm not going to play as often because one, you know, just like it's not going to be the most fun to play against. Yeah. But it's like that deck is meant to be a deck that i invest into because i enjoy the cards that are associated with it because i enjoy playing that strategy and to me an 80 dollars card in that deck is worth it because of the card itself not because of everything else around it but actually because of the card itself well one of my favorite cards one of my favorite strategies one of my
0: favorite decks Corey, what do you think about premium products Um, Pick
1: your battles. They are hit or miss. I would like to support the hits when I can, but obviously that's not practical. So like Drew said, you got to pick your battles. But as PSA, just... We talked about slob. Just vote with your wallet. If you like something, try and support it. Even if you don't buy it, just say, hey, I really liked what you did there. Just reach out to the community. And then if you don't like something do the exact same like hey I don't like what you did there I don't support this your
2: opinion matters Yeah,
1: you might not think it but everyone's opinion matters Yeah, and so I think obviously a lot of us have promos and we like these cards so we do buy them it's just it's hard sometimes and it's in the back of your mind you do think that this is predatory and you're supporting predatory products which none of us want to do so The best thing you can do is just speak with your wallet and if you see the value in it, it's okay to buy it. Don't let other people judge you just because of something that you want. Like If you want to bling out your deck, go ahead and bling out your deck. If you don't want to play with that, you want to... Buy a damaged version because you're trying to save some money. Hell yeah, hey, we've yeah, all been there. Me, dude. If you want to place a white-bordered Birds of Paradise because it's gross and cheaper than the other ones, fuck yeah, I did buy that.
2: <laughs> I do think that people need to understand that there is a, a right and wrong way to buy pe- premium products and that I've been on the wrong side more often than not. And it's not until much later that I understand that.
1: Yeah, and even just non-premium products, like everyone loves cracking packs, but you don't need to buy a box of every
0: set. Just get 300 trash commons that you're not going to play. So if I'm able to wrap up this episode, that's my take. Is like, there are premium products that are worth it. There are premium products that are not. If you will play it, don't feel bad about buying it. If you're not going to play it, think really hard. Are you going to sell that? Will you make your money? That's when you start to make consideration. But if you're going to play it, then play it. Yeah, I don't even do think it. that you have to
2: think like, will you make your money back on it or whatever? Like When you're looking at magic cards... It is a game. It is something that you play. It is something that you like actively collect. It's not like baseball cards where like, you, know, you try and collect a whole set or you're collecting specific things. You have like, a reason to collect and to play, and that is the reason, right? Is that you're trying to continually play this wonderful game. And if you aren't buying a card that you can reasonably play, then think critically about yeah. it. It's not about reselling it. It's about what you're doing with that card. So, ending on that note seems like a bummer. So instead, we do have a bunch of stuff that we want you to check out on the YouTube channel, which is just some unboxing of some secret lair, some signature spell books that's just gonna be on in the background.
0: Just, you know, some (gasps) B-Rule. But thank you guys for sitting through this exhaustive take on premium products. Obviously, there are going to be people that are sour on it, and there's going to be people that are super hyped. And you just got to navigate your own way through all of this shit. Are they a sour blonde ale? Oh, no. They're a sour Brooklyn Bel Air. Sour. All right, guys. Thank you so much for listening. As we like to say on this podcast, have fun and your opinion matters. So before, before we get everybody's final, final thoughts on this episode, I just want to let everybody know, because we don't quite have video yet, that Drew is double fisting. <laughs> Dude, I've been trying to think of a way to bring that up, scenes. and I'm just like, both of these are really fucking good. And like going back
2: and savage, <laughs> going back and forth. Between he's got
0: like- the fancy glasses, so it looks kind of okay, but he's still double fisting. He, he's not like gently holding them he's like
1: (laughs) like actually fisting them like just grabbing them by the stem yeah
2: it's true but